welcome to my friend and your friend. Thank you, Jonathan. What are friends for? <laughs> what a joy, what an honor to be back. Someone asked me two weeks ago, what's your favorite church to preach in? Uh, in my old age, we've been retired for 17 years now from Westminster Chapel, and uh, I literally travel the whole world. God is, even though I'm an old man, I get invitations uh, but I, they asked, what's your favorite church? And I quickly said, the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta. And so I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> Michael Yusuf, my hero. Nobody in the world like him. And what an honor to be on his board, European board. And uh, Louise and I see Michael and Elizabeth like family. And by the way, uh, Louise will... Be 80 years old Wednesday. Yeah. And, she, and she will forgive me. My son, T.R., and two of our grandsons, Toby and Timothy, traveling with us. And uh, Dr. Yusuf kindly lets us get rid of some of our books. And um, my latest book out just a week ago called Word and Spirit uh, should sell for $17, giving... Uh, Everyone a chance. If you want them, $10. Everything's 10 We get rid of them. And oh, and, and this deal still holds. I don't know why I'm so good to you. <laughs> but you can take any of my books with my signature. So, and I'll sign the books. It helps get rid of them. You walk up to any Starbucks store and walk to the counter, open the book, and show them my signature. And give them $3.95 and they'll give you a cappuccino. <laughs> Guaranteed. I want to speak to you from an unusual verse. There's no verse like it. From Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, Paul said, endure hardness. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this His most holy and infallible Word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every mind in this place in order that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. And I ask, if there's someone here for whom this message is tailor-made because they are in a moment of great suffering, may this bless them and bless everybody and bring great honor and glory to your name, I pray 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you received a letter from a prisoner, but you didn't know who he was, never heard of him, and he just writes to you and tells you how to order your life, would you listen to him? Well, that's what we have here. You see, Colossians is different. Uh, Paul knew the Corinthians. He wrote 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. He knew the church at Ephesus. He founded it. He wrote the book of Ephesians. He knew the Thessalonians. He wrote 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. But he had never met the Colossians. He did not found this church. It was founded by a man by the name of Epaphras. But Paul wants to use his apostolic authority there. They didn't have an apostle. And writes them a letter from prison. And it's a very interesting book. It's a lot like Ephesians, but it's different. Some would say the most difficult book in the New Testament. And one of the reasons it's difficulty is from this verse. There's no verse like it. When he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, that is the church. There's no verse like it, and it's not so easy to understand. Now, he makes an interesting comment when he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Are you aware that Paul was told on the day of his conversion that he would suffer? You see it in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. And he accepted his suffering. He knew he was so unworthy to have a conversion like he had, and he was grateful. And here was a man of great suffering, but it's also the reason for his being so used of God. And I am preaching on this today with the thought that maybe someone here, you want to be used of God as you've never been before. And what I'm going to talk about, the power of suffering, it's the way forward for God to use you as you have never used. Personally, I would rather have a greater anointing than anything in the world. The word anointing means power of the Holy Spirit that enables your gift to function with ease. And whether you are a minister or a lawyer, a physician, a nurse, a secretary, you have a gift. And that gift needs an anointing. You don't have to be in the pulpit to have an anointing. God will use you. But the way forward for a greater anointing, like it or not, is through suffering. If I have any anointing in my old age, I can tell you now, although I've had many people pray for me, I mean, I've had the best, the most famous from Martin Lloyd-Jones, Billy Graham. I've had hundreds lay hands on me. As far as I know, any degree of effectiveness that I've had can be traceable to one thing, and that's just through suffering. And I don't know that everybody here needs this. I know that I felt compelled to preach it, maybe in the first service or maybe in this one. There's someone who needs it. There's someone here going through the greatest trial of your whole life right now. 
And this message is for you. The rest can eavesdrop. You may need it down the road. But this is the way forward so that you can understand. Well, there are several things I want you to see. First of all, you may find this strange, predestination and suffering. They go together. Yes, you need to know if you're in a trial, your suffering was predestined. And don't be afraid of the word predestination. You wouldn't be saved if it weren't for that. God did it. He is the one that saved you. As Luke says in Acts 13, 48, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. Now, he might have said, as many as believed were ordained to eternal life. He could have said that, and it would have been true. But Luke wants to make a theological comment. As many as were ordained, appointed to eternal life, believed, to let you know that it's by the sheer grace of God that you're saved. But then he adds another word, and he wants you to know that your sufferings are predestined. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, he said, I hope that you won't be moved or upset by the trials you're going through because you know you were destined for them. That, that's Paul's word. 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, you were destined for them. In fact, he says in Philippians 1, verse 30, it's given to us for the sake of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for him. You say, well, no one told me that I would suffer. Well, Paul might say, I can't think of everything when we preach the gospel. And often this is not mentioned as part of the gospel. No reason it should be. But after you are saved, you find out, lo and behold, you still have a problem. In fact, it might be worse. And you think, nobody told me this would happen. And the truth is, everyone discovers. So Paul is letting you know this is part of it. You say, well, why didn't they tell me? All I know is you can get out of it. If you don't want it, you can reject it. Or you can take this word from James. Did you know it can be argued that the first verse in the Bible written was James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' trials. You see, James was written in 48 A.D., the first book of the New Testament, before Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And his opening comment, count it pure joy, as one translation puts it. Now, the word count means you impute to the trial joy. It's the same word Paul uses in Romans 4 when he says faith counts for righteousness. So you are told that when you transfer the trust that you had in your good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross, and you trust the blood of Jesus plus nothing, then God sees you as righteous he imputes to you. He counts you as righteous. Now, you may not feel righteous, but God says you are. And James uses the same word. If you are in a trial, count it joy. 
You may not feel joy, but you impute to the trial joy. Because one day, you will be thankful for it. And better that you do it now, instead of going through it and years later and say, well, now I see that I needed that. No, James says, get the victory while you're in it. It's not easy. Our first reaction is to complain or say, how could this happen? Why would God allow me to go through this? James says, count it. Impute to it joy. It's only a matter of time. You will. And I can tell you now that, for example, the greatest trial that Louise and I have ever gone through, ever, I now see best thing that happened to me. No complaints at all now. At the time, it wasn't so easy. But James is saying, if you can, do it. Well, you need to know that what has happened to you is on purpose. And you need also to know that God is at the bottom of it all. Don't say, look what the devil is doing. Now, God might use the devil. In fact, Paul talked about Satan being a messenger of Satan. Yes, God can use the devil, but you need to know that God's at the bottom of it. As a matter of fact, God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God started it. And you need to know this about you, that what you are going through, hard though it may be, in the heavenlies, before it happened, God said, have you considered my servant, Jonathan, Louise, Lindsay, T.R., Toby, have you considered them? And the devil was convinced that if a person who had everything lost everything, that person would then curse God. Now, this verse that I'm preaching from today, I've only heard it preached on once, and it was from a man by the name of Joseph Tsun. I don't know that you would remember, but when I've preached here in the past, I've told you about the man who came to me in the dark hour of our lives and said, you must totally forgive them. That was Joseph Tsun. Okay, the same Joseph Tsun preached for me at Westminster Chapel. In the same way that I'm preaching for Michael, Joseph Stone preached for me. And he preached a sermon that I have listened to again and again. I would have to say, the greatest sermon I ever heard. And the title of his sermon was Mysterious Reasons for Suffering. I could have used that. I just didn't want to plagiarize. But I call it the power of suffering. But mysterious reasons. And he used the verse that I'm preaching from today. And he pointed out that there is a quota of suffering. Now, there's two things that lay behind mysterious reasons. One, God wanted to show the angels what would happen if a man who had everything lost everything and would not curse God. Satan said, the reason Job is perfect and upright, you've given him everything, take it from him, and he'll curse you. 
And God says, okay, let's see. And that is what is behind your suffering. Listen, the angels are watching to see what will be your reaction when you are in this trial right now. All heaven watching. And God has put you on your honor. And the angels are watching. Satan is watching. Suppose someone here, you've had everything and you've lost everything. What would your reaction be? What keeps you going? Is it for the honor of God or always because you are blessed? Well, that's the message. Mysterious reasons. Part of the reason is you are on display before heaven and earth. And the name of God, His honor, is at stake. And your friends are watching you. They want to see what you will be like when you are put through a trial. But then there's another thing. He says, filling up what is lacking. Now, it's an interesting point. As I said, Paul says it nowhere else. What he says is that a certain quota, a certain quantity of suffering, it's called Christ's afflictions, pain in his body, the church, and so a certain number of suffering has to be given. Uh, God is looking for people uh, who will suffer and not complain. And so uh, there is space available because most people complain. <laughs> and he's looking for those. So Paul said, that's what I'm doing. I'm filling up what is lacking. And so space available, Paul isn't complaining. He says, I'm rejoicing. And Paul could claim this is precisely for the, is the explanation of his suffering, that he accepted the quota. Uh, suppose your bank manager said, come to the bank Monday morning, and certain money has been allocated to you. I think you would go and take it. Well, he's saying a certain amount of suffering has been allocated to the body of Christ. The question is, how will you react if God says, you, this is for you. Will you accept it? Or will you complain? Or we could ask this question. Why be a Christian? Do you believe everybody should be a Christian? Do you? Do you think your loved ones should be saved? Do you think your neighbors should be saved? Do you think the person you work with? Do you really believe they should be Christians? Why? Suppose you were given a sheet of paper and you write out why your neighbor should be saved. Why your loved ones? Why your boss, the person that works for you? Well, you say, well, uh, they'll be happier. Let me tell you, the first person I baptized at Westminster Chapel years ago was a man by the name of J. Michaels. He was a Los Angeles Jew. He was on his way to Moscow. He had an office in London. His secretary was a member of Westminster Chapel. 
invited Jay Michaels to come and hear me preach. I didn't know about it for months. Jay Michaels came to hear me, was converted that night. Months later, I met him, and it turns out that we became friends. I took him bone fishing in the Keys. He took me out deep sea fishing. We, we spent holidays together like family. One day, sitting in a restaurant in the Florida Keys, he said this to me, R.T., before I became a Christian, I was a happy man. <laughs> I saw that in a couple of weeks, you're going to have people to give their testimonies. Uh, how about J. Michaels coming and saying, oh, well, I want everybody to know before I became a Christian, I was happy. Not a very good testimony. Uh, suppose we ask the Apostle Paul to give his testimony. Just before someone stands up to preach the gospel, we're going to hear from someone uh, what Christianity has done for me. And uh, this, these are Paul's words uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, starting verse 24. He said, uh, well, five times I received from the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes Less one. Oh, tell me more. I think I want to be a Christian now. Go on. Well, there's more. He said, uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Oh, where do I sign? <laughs> Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from brothers. He says, many a sleepless night. Do you know what it is not to be able to sleep? You think, Lord, why can't I sleep? Hunger and thirst, often without food. You say, oh, I now want to be a Christian. No, Paul is letting you know. Why you become a Christian is not because it's going to make you happy. It's not going to solve your marriage. Don't think that. The truth is, the reason you become a Christian is because God sent His Son into the world to die on a cross that we might go to heaven and not to hell. This is the reason for the gospel. And so J. Michaels, he wasn't complaining. He was stating a fact. His wife wouldn't convert. His son, Al Michaels, the sportscaster, that's who it is. He wouldn't convert. Jay was a lonely man. And so it is. The reason to become a Christian is because of what God has done for you in Jesus. And we must take this. Well, Paul took his sufferings with both hands because he knew he was so unworthy to be saved. And so we're talking now about the purpose of suffering. It's what God knows we may need. And I think this is for somebody. And you know who you are. And you're being tested. You're on trial. People are watching you to see what will be your reaction. But then Paul also talks about the privilege of suffering in our text today. It is such a privilege. It should be obvious by now. Uh, as we saw, so much suffering has been allocated to the body of Christ. But the result of it is an increased sense of God. Uh, let's say I were to give a, an invitation at the end of the service and say, all those who want a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit, I want you to stand and come forward. Oh, but wait, wait. Uh, 
Those who want that increased anointing, that I just pray for you. So all of you that want that, just come down these aisles, and I'll pray for you. But all those who want this increased anointing by suffering, you come down this aisle. Do you think anybody would come? You see, no one wants it. But this is, like it or not, one of the chief ways God uses us to prepare you and to show the world and the angels that you're doing it for the honor and glory of God. Well, Paul is not complaining. And you know, there's a verse, Acts 5.41. When I read this verse, I sometimes cannot help but come to tears. It's when Peter and John left the Sanhedrin. You see, they were called before the Sanhedrin. And uh, these two men had uh, let God down. Uh, even John, it says, Matthew 26, 56, all the disciples forsook him and fled. All of them, even John. And Peter had denied the Lord. And they were so ashamed. And now they're called before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was made up of mostly Sadducees, but some Pharisees. And they were reprimanded. And they were told, don't preach in this name. And then they were beaten. And Acts 5.41 says, as Peter and John left the council, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of his name. So inside the Sanhedrin, they were saying to themselves, well, we won't have to worry about those men again. We've taught them a lesson. What they didn't know is that Peter and John, they couldn't believe their luck, that they were given a second chance to show that they would honor God. They were so ashamed. Peter especially, he denied the Lord. And he must have thought, Lord, give me one more chance to show that I won't let you down. Is this someone here? You have let the Lord down, and you're so ashamed. You're so sorry. And God says, what if I gave you another opportunity to show that you are different? <laughs> That's being offered right now to anyone. You've got a chance to show. It's a privilege to suffer shame. You see, none of us want shame. We want to be well-respected. We want a good name, people to look up to us. We hate the thought that people won't admire us. You see, when you realize you're doing everything before an audience of one, he's watching. It's an opportunity to show that you really honor him. And it's such a privilege. My own mother, when she was a teenager, uh, was part of a group that sat at the feet of a 90-year-old saint. And this old lady would tell stories to these kids and one day made this comment, quote, she said, I've been a Christian so long now 
that I can hardly tell the difference between a blessing and a trial. And yet it is that at the time, it doesn't seem like a blessing. At the time when you don't get the respect you wanted, the accolades, I don't suppose many here will know the name Henry Morrison. Henry Morrison was a Baptist missionary in Africa a hundred years ago during the time of President Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, you may know, if you know anything about Roosevelt, uh, he was a game hunter, and he loved to go to Africa to game hunt. Well, Henry Morrison had been a missionary for 40 years, and he and his wife decided it was time to retire. And he wrote a letter to two or three friends to say, we're coming home, and we're giving it up after 40 years. Well, they were coming on a ship into the New York Harbor. And as they were coming into the harbor, a band was playing. And he said to his wife, oh, they shouldn't have done this. Yeah, you know, they're, they're making a fuss over us. But he was pleased, you know. And he had his suitcases ready right there to get, they were going to be first off the ship. And when the ship was now roped to the shore, they started out, a policeman said, stop here, sir. Oh, he put his suitcase down. It turned out that President Theodore Roosevelt was on the ship. He had been game hunting in Africa for three weeks. The band was for the president. Henry Morrison and his wife, it turned out, they were last off the ship. They came down the gangplank and put their suitcases down and looked. Nobody there to meet them. They walked three blocks to a third-rate hotel. He fell across the bed and said, Lord, I come home after 40 years of serving you. There's nobody here to greet me. President Roosevelt game hunts three weeks and a band plays for him. But then he heard clearly the Lord speak to him these words. But you're not home yet. Paul said, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see him. They will come. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no crying death pain, for the former things will be passed away. And all that we're going through now, God has orchestrated it all to see whether we will bring honor and glory to his name. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, take this word, apply it by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.